भद्रम करने भी श्रृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षु स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति न पूषा विश्व स्वस्ति नो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा शांति 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 ओम ओ गॉड्स मे वी हियर ऑस्पिशियस वर्ड्स विथ आवर इयर्स वाइल एंगेज इन सैक्रिफाइसिस मे वी सी ऑस्पिशियस थिंग्स विद द आईज वाइल प्रेजिंग द गॉड्स विथ स्टडी लिम्स मे वी एंजॉय अ लाइफ दैट इज बेनिफिशियल टू द गॉड्स मे इंद्र ऑफ एंशियंट फेम बी ऑस्पिशियस टू अस May the all-knowing Pusha, the God of the earth, be propitious to us. May Garuda, the destroyer of evil, be well disposed towards us. May Brihaspati ensure our welfare. Om, peace, peace, peace. So we are studying the Mundaka Upanishad, and uh, we were. in the first mundaka section to the second khanda and towards the end of that the 12th mantra we have taken up the 12th mantra which is an important mantra we studied that last time but i want to dwell on it a little more before we go on to the 13th mantra which is the last mantra of this section the 12th mantra goes like this pariksha lokan karma chitan brahmano nirveda mayan nastyakrita kritena कर्म with the help of this maxim there is nothing here that is not the result of karma so um, what is the need of performing karma for knowing the re- that reality he should go with the sacrificial wood in hand only to a teacher versed in the vedas and absorbed in brahman why i am dwelling on this is this is crucial this is an this is a very important uh, turning point in one spiritual life see there is a spectrum in our spiritual life uh, there is a time in our lives or in the lives of some people you will see were not at all interested they're just interested in in whatever is present in their life in this world right now that's all maybe it might be money relationships just having a good time um that's it and many of these people were pretty good good people they are not uh, outright greedy or you know um, unethical or so on but just not interested in any kind of spirituality there might be another category of people a little better than this and i'll tell you later why i think these categories are better each one better than the earlier one a little better than this is that uh, they have a sense of existence of some reality beyond the senses god they have a fa- kind of belief in god 
there is a power. And uh, they're still interested in whatever the world has to offer. And the goal is still, the eyes are very much on the world. However, since there is a supreme power and I believe in it, um, I will take the help of this supreme power of God in order to achieve my goals. I will do whatever has to be needed to earn money, take care of the family, progress in the world and all of that. And I will worship God with the with the blessings of God. I'll do better. I'll do better than I have been doing. I'll be protected and I will get things uh, which I want in this world. That's another category. That's still better. Why is this better? Uh, because each category uh, comes closer and closer to that ultimate reality, towards Brahman. When there is another category which begins spiritual life in earnest, that, uh, you know, God, it's fine that I believe in God, but I notice that what I'm trying to achieve in the world by my own efforts and with the blessings of God, they do not give any kind of permanent satisfaction. First of all, they do not answer my ultimate questions. What is the reality of this life? Who am I? What is the point about of this entire life? No answer is there. And then in this kind of conventional religion, no answer. Second, it is not fulfilling. Um, and the Upanishad comes and says that there is an ultimate fulfill fulfillment is possible. But at, this, at this juncture, one might just say, well, this is all that there is. Um, there is this world and religion tells me God is there. God will help you to get through this life. And that's it. I don't want anything more. I'm not interested in anything more. But even if you are interested, there is nothing more than this. But the Upanishad comes and tells us there is something more than this. That it is possible to get the answers to your deepest questions. What is the point of this life? What is the reality about this world, about myself? Who am I? What is all this? There is an answer. And not only there is an answer to these questions, fulfillment is possible. What we are looking for all throughout our lives, deep peace, fulfillment, uh, deeply meaningful life, that's possible. Um, and freedom from suffering, freedom from samsara is possible. So this is the goal of moksha. And then people pursue this. This is a crucial turning point. And this turning point demands that we carefully examine what is it that we are pursuing in life. In terms of family, in terms of pleasure seeking, in terms of, you know, even all the um, uh, noble or, uh, you know, seeking money and success or even the noble pursuits in life, science and uh, you know, art and even politics and good causes. All of these, you take a clear, uh, clear-eyed look at them and notice their limitations, what they can do and what they cannot do. And to come to a realization that they will never give me anything deep and lasting. They have their role to play. But what I was looking for, that these deep, lasting peace, um, fulfillment, Transcendence of suffering that they cannot give me. This realization. The way it is put in this these verses is in this mantra is um, until now, the Vedic religion before this, the karma kanda, the ritualistic portion, said it works like this: you do good karma, and by the force of good karma, you earn enough merit that you're you're a good person, you have a lot of good karma in your account. And therefore, whatever you want in life, you will get um, all the good things in life. But having done all that, 
by doing good karma and by doing these Vedic rituals and having gone to heaven multiple times and still coming back, we may not have the memory of that, but we have a samskara. Uh, the, the sign of that samskara will be, the samskara means a tendency. Not that we will remember that I have come here many times and I have had these experiences many times. Not that we will remember that I went to heaven many times. It was fun, but it all came to an end. We will not remember that. But the samskaras are there. We easily see through the display of this world and we know there is a limit to it. This world cannot give me anything more than that. And I do want more than that. And I do, all of us, we want more than that. Um, this insight, it's there because of our past experiences. It's a sign of maturity. The way it is put in these um, mantras is, karma chitan, pariksha lokan karma chitan. Whatever is produced by action, whatever is produced by karma, they're all limited and they should be examined. The spiritual seeker is the one who examines them thoroughly, seriously. Um, if you do it very easily, you haven't you know, sat down and uh, examined life very seriously, but it comes to you automatically, then you are blessed. It's because of the examination done through experiences of many past lives. That this automatically comes to you, that um, spiritual life is worthwhile and this life has its limitations. This much examination. Most of us, we have we have an intuition like that. Um, but this examination is crucial. What will this examination reveal? Shankaracharya is quite graphic. I read some of that last time, but let me repeat it. His, uh, the examination will reveal that this samsara, which is produced by karma, Aneka artha shatasahasra sankulan assailed by, troubled by, harassed by aneka anatha, anatha, aneka anatha by many, many troubles, many, many sorrows. Life is full of travail and um, sorrow and suffering. Um, into, this is even into the great best of lives, some rain will fall. So, <laughs> nobody has such a perfect life here where one has Absolutely no complaint, no problem at all. Shata Sahasra Sankulano. Thousands of afflictions, minor from minor irritations to major tragedies, they will come in life. Then he says, Kadali <laughs> Like a plantain tree, the stem of the plantain tree is supposed to be hollow. So, hollow, um, the stem of the tree is hollow. This world, this life is empty. Even after we get it, we find it turns into ashes in our very hands. It, uh, after having got what we struggled for all our lives, uh, it seems blank, empty, not fulfilling anymore. Asaran, that means without substance, empty. Then, Maya, it's like magic. It's like a magical display. Marichi Udaka, like, a, um, like the water in a mirage. Looks like water, but it isn't water. Then another example he gives. Gandharva Nagarakar. Of the form of castles in the sky. Gandharva Nagara is just the, the, the city of the Gandharvas, a city of some, some um, demigods in the skies. Basically castles in the sky. When you see clouds up there, they look like castles in the sky. They're not there. There are no castles there at all. They're just the clouds are looking like that. Then... He goes on to say, Swapna 
turning one's away, mind, uh, turning one's back to it means no longer regarding it as the goal of life. Prishtatakritva, turning one's back towards it. Knowing that it has defects. Avidya kama dosha pravartita. Karma chitan, dharma dharma nivartitan. The world, turning one's back to what? The worlds which are born of my good and bad karma. By, because of my good karma, heavens and good life here, heaven after death. Because of my bad karma, adharma, hellish existences or lower existences as animals. All those, where do they come from? Karma chitan, they are produced by my, my actions, my karma. Uh -huh. And what are these? What is the problem with this? These karmas are all prompted by ignorance. Uh, they're all prompted by desire, first of all, karma. And where did desire come from? Ignorance. Avidya kama dosha pravartitan karma chitan. It's one of Shankaracharya's favorite phrases. Avidya kama karma. Avidya kama karma. Ignorance, desire, action. What does action lead to? These words. This is what we have got. Do it wisely. Live wisely. Work hard, be ethical, then you will have a good life here and go to heaven. And then nothing, you'll be back here again. And live a, a unwise life, unethical, uh, impulsive. Then you'll generate a lot of bad karma. There'll be unhappiness in this life. And uh, if one is evil, is particularly naughty, in that case, hellish existences, animal existences. And then nothing, you'll be back here again. So this, this uh, uh, impermanent products of karma, one turns one's back. This is called dispassion or in Sanskrit, vairagya. vairagya. This is essential. Why I'm stressing this, we did that last, last time, but why I'm stressing this is, at least 80% of our worldly problems are solved by this. Most of the issues that we bring to spiritual life are not spiritual problems. They are problems caused by a lack of vairagya, a lack of dispassion. Why we are unhappy in spiritual life? Suppose you are cultivating devotion, bhakti, you are cultivating jnana, knowledge, you are cultivating meditation, um, a life of service. You should be happy. There should be joy. There should be fulfillment. Why are we unhappy? It's because we still hold on to worldly desires. We have not um, cultivated vairagya to the desired extent. Vairagya to the extent that is necessary. Vairagya means dispassion. So this vairagya, this dispassion, this turning one's back to worldly projects, not turning one's back to the world itself, because you cannot. You will either be in the at home or in an ashram. Both are in the world. Um, but turning one's back to this worldliness, this is essential. If one does this, then most of one's problems will be solved. All our, you know, I, I hear these questions so many times. And uh, Swami, I understand Vedanta, uh, but that person behaved, how do you deal with this person's bad behavior with me? See, this bad behavior of somebody, it could be somebody usually in the family or somebody in the, at, at work or whatever. Where is this complaint coming from? This complaint is coming from because I care. I am this person and I deserve to be treated well. I am not being treated well. If you have vairagya, dispassion, then your whole goal is God-realization, enlightenment. 
as far as the world is concerned, no matter who is behaving in whatever way, you will deal with it. How do you see? How do you deal with difficult people? Sri Ramakrishna gives three-step approach. Three-step approach. Problematic people. You see the simple formula. Three-step approach. What is what are the approach? First, um, I'm translating from the Bengali. The Bengali original is Doshe Gune Manush. All human beings are a bundle of um, vices and virtues, good qualities and bad qualities. What he means by that is, we are very illiberal. Generally, we are very intolerant. I have certain good qualities, the other person may not have those good qualities. But the other person has certain faults, but I have some different faults also. Everybody has a bundle of, as Sri Ramakrishna says, dosha and guna, merits and of. of uh, in defects and good qualities. And therefore, the first step in dealing with difficult people is to forbear. Is to forbear how? Through being liberal, being making allowances. It's all right. These people, they will behave like this because of their samskaras. I am behaving in certain ways because of my samskaras. They are putting up with me. Why should I not put up with them? This is step one. Step two. How do you forbear? How do you uh, withstand difficult people? Step two, more difficult case, more serious case. Uh, then in that case, Sri Ramakrishna says, Khoshkara, that means to hiss. You must not allow yourself, your spiritual quest to be swept away by difficult people. Just in the name of forbearing people and being liberal, don't allow other people to walk all over you. Because you have a goal in life. You have now the highest goal in life, God realization, enlightenment. Don't let others walk all over you. Don't let them uh, disturb your spiritual life. So there one must be strong, there one must be dignified and um, uh, not yield. When we want something very badly, how stubborn we are. So want this spiritual life very badly. So you, you can be stubborn about it, about spiritual life. And you're not being stubborn about anything small. You're being stubborn about something wonderful and good in life. So, that his, there is a story of the snake, you know, well-known story Sri Ramakrishna told about, uh, um, you know, one, there was one brahmachari going through a village and uh, the villagers said there's a very poisonous snake which bites everybody. And the brahmachari said, he will not bite me. Uh, I can, you know, uh, my spirituality, my mantra will protect me. So he goes to the snake who comes to bite him and the brahmachari tells him, don't do that. Stop. Why are you um, biting people? Take this mantra and repeat the mantra. Um, and I'll come back after some time and I'll see how you're progressing. And the snake agrees. And he says, don't bite and repeat the mantra. Years later, that brahmachari is passing through that village again. again, And he asks the people, um, where is that snake? I gave him initiation many, many years ago. So, no, that snake must be dead. We haven't seen it around for years. And then the brahmachari said, but he can't be dead. Uh, as, until the mantra gives results, that snake has to live. I know. Then he goes and he finds the snake. The snake comes out of the its hole. Its, its back is broken. It's dragging itself painfully over the ground. comes and bows down before the brahmachari. And this the teacher asks his uh, um, reptile disciple, how, how come this happened to you? And he said, the snake said, oh, I'm fine. It's all right. No, it's not all right. What happened to you? 
Then the snake thought and said, Oh, I see. I remember a few years back, these mischievous children, uh, when they realized that I don't bite, I was following your instructions. I stopped biting and uh, I repeat the mantra. They realized I won't bite. So one of them came and caught me by the tail and swung me around and dashed me on the ground. And so I got hurt. But it's all right. They're kids. Uh, now the brahmachari said, I told you not to bite. Did I tell you not to hiss? I told you not to bite. Did I tell you not to hiss? That means uh, to be assertive about your spiritual life. When we were in uh, management school, we were taught the difference between aggressive, assertive and manipulative. So the weak person is manipulative. The you know, arrogant and uh, you know, violent person is aggressive. Both are bad. But one should be assertive, which is not manipulative. Be straightforward, honest, simple, direct. Say what you want and uh, stick to it. So there was a whole course called assertiveness training to teach you how to be assertive. Not to get angry and start shouting. Not to play politics and be manipulative. But to be straightforward, frank, assertive and stand up for yourself or your cause or whatever it is. Um, so that is the second part of the two-step process, three-step process. Second part is for more difficult people, one must hiss. Don't actually harm anybody, but one must um, have that kind of a personality, that kind of a presence that others won't dare to uh, disturb you or harm you. Third, there might be actually really bad people, really evil people. There are people who will be out to really harm you. So the third level for such people, Sri Ramakrishna's formula is Bhag Narayan. So the tiger Narayana. Narayana is everywhere. The Lord is everywhere. But then Sri Ramakrishna says, you cannot embrace the tiger Narayana. The tiger Narayana will eat you up if you embrace. Uh, and you cannot, you, don't, you can't afford to be eaten up at this moment because you have a goal in life. God realization is your goal. Before that, you can't allow the tiger to eat you up. So what do you do with the tiger Narayana? Sri Ramakrishna's advice is to bow down from a distance. Keep your distance. To such people, better not to have in your life. If you are inflicted with uh, such a troublesome person in life who is, because of their own samskaras, his or her samskaras, is out to harm you, then you must create a gulf, a separation between yourself and such a person. So this three-step way of uh, dealing with difficult people doesn't mean you will go away from samsara. You will remain there, but your goal is no longer worldliness. Now, this is dispassion. Now, what is your goal? Your goal is God-realization. This is the turning point in spiritual life. Turning point in spiritual life. Let me read out a passage from Swami Vivekananda. Very powerful passage. This is a lecture, One Existence Appearing as Many. It's in the third volume of Swami Vivekananda's complete works. And at the very beginning, he begins the talk with this. The importance of Vairagya. And then... Very nicely, very incisively, he points out what is dispassion or vairagya in karma yoga, in raja yoga, in bhakti yoga, in jnana yoga. So, how is vairagya? How does it manifest in the four different yogas? Vivekananda, uh, he says, vairagya or renunciation is the turning point in all the various yogas. So, turning point means from conventional religion to spirituality. From the lower religion to the higher religion. Uh, from Karmakanda to Jnanakanda. From the pursuit of 
nice life here and heaven in after death to the pursuit of moksha, liberation, God-realization, enlightenment, liberation. So that is the turning point. Vairagya or renunciation is the turning point in all the various yogas. The karmi or the worker, karma yogi, renounces the fruits of his work. So no longer for I, me, mine. I will still work. See, he does not renounce the work. I will still work, but it is for the greater good. It is as a service to the family, to the community, to the organization, to the world. No longer, I don't want anything for myself. Yes, if you are, if you are holding a job, you will get um, your salary. That's fine. But that's no, that, that is not the purpose anymore. So, oh, it's a worship of God. That's the best way of doing karma yoga, as a worship of the Lord. Then the second renunciation, the bhakta, devotee, bhakti yoga. The bhakta renounces all little loves. For the all almighty and omnipresent love. So all the hundred thousand desires in which my, my love flows out to the world. I want this. I want this. I want this. Give up those little loves. Step away from that. And then this. Not that you stop loving. Then the mighty stream of love is now. It becomes one mighty stream of love. All of that desire is now focused on your beloved Ishta Devata. Rama or Krishna or Devi, mother. Sri Ramakrishna, it was for him mother. For Mirabai, it was Krishna. And so on. So, your love is now directed towards the Lord. That is the great renunciation of the uh, Bhakti Yogi. Then third, Raja Yogi, meditator. The Raja Yogi, he says, the Yogi renounces his experiences because his philosophy is that the whole of nature although it is for the experience of the soul, at last brings him to know that he is not in nature, but eternally separate from nature. What, a, what an incisive uh, insight into the nature of meditation. What is meditation? It is the great renunciation of all experiences. That means worldly experiences. So I shall not walk out into the world. I shall sit quiet in meditation. I shall not keep on looking here and there. I shall shut my eyes. I shall shut my ears. Sh not thinking, not seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Even more subtle. Not remembering the past. The moment we shut the gates of the senses, the mind goes into overdrive. Memories from the past come. Uh, good memories. Oh, those were the wonderful days. Or memories of regret. I wish that had happened or that had not happened. The mind goes into this overdrive. Shut the doors of memory. Don't remember. And then others like future. If you shut the past, then the mind will go into the future. Mind, mind is very, very naughty. It will go into the future. How will it go into the future? It will start projecting. I wish this would happen. Or I'm expecting that to happen. Or anxiety or fear. If this happens, if that happens. It's a mind will keep churning. So, the, the nature of worry or anxiety is like that. It doesn't lead to anything productive. It just takes up one little problem, possible problem which might come in the future and the mind goes on and on and on and won't let it go. And it wears you down. Stop that. Intellect will think of philosophizing, understanding. Yes, yes, I am now meditating. I am the consciousness. The world is the um, object. Stop that also. That's also an activity of the intellect. So all experiences, external, internal, stop it. 
that is called chitta vritti nirodha this is such a nice uh, insight into the nature of meditation the great renunciation of all experience experience means the subject object experience then finally the gyani he says the gyani gyani yogi on vivekananda calls him the gyani the philosopher renounces everything because his philosophy is that nature never existed neither in the past nor present nor will it in the future so just it isn't death no fear of death life no hankering for life because the reality is brahman that's why here shankaracharya says it is this world why even give it any thought it is uh, uh, empty like a plantain the stem of a plantain tree it's like a, a, a magic display maya it's like a, a the water in a mirage uh, it's like bubbles on the surface of the ocean it like foam and so on so this is called dispassion we must give it a thought and see whatever our complaints and problems we often think when i become enlightened all that will be go away or even before that we think why doesn't god take away my problems i am i am such a nice boy or such a nice girl so why doesn't god take away my problems no 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 think about it that these problems how much of it is caused by my uh, lack of vairagya dispassion what would if if this was vivekananda this is my problem what would vivekananda say to this problem what would ma sharada say to this problem how would ramakrishna deal with this problem so then then what happens you you it is said in a very philosophical way nasti akritah kritena by work by action that which is infinite can never be produced then what do you do tad vigyanartham sa guru meva vigachet then one goes in search of spiritual teaching spiritual realization to the guru now notice one thing when he says nastya krita kritena by karma that ultimate reality which i am looking for karma cannot produce that no amount of um, you know uh, money that i earn here no amount of science no amount of religious rituals that we do here none of these karmas can lead me to the ultimate they might help initially but it will not it will not produce the ultimate the, pro- the ultimate which i am seeking brahman is not a product of karma in that case we have to move what he is indicating here is you have to move beyond the karma kanda of the vedas into the gyana kanda this movement or in terms of the lower knowledge and the higher knowledge paravidya paravidya that's the terminology we were introduced to in this upanishad early on so he is telling us giving us an argument from moving from the lower knowledge aparavidya to the higher knowledge paravidya the lower knowledge is the knowledge of action whether secular action what we do in our lives or religious action which you find in the karmakanda of the vedas none of that can give us what we are seeking for none of that can give us the infinite all action is finite the finite cannot lead to the infinite then what leads to the infinite if it's not action if it is not produced 
then it, that infinite must be already here. So there's Brahman, that infinite which I'm seeking is already here. If it is already here, then why don't I have it? Well, Vedanta will say, you have it also. But we say, where? I don't, I don't get it. Where is this Brahman? Well, you are it. Even there we are not clear. How am I uh, Brahman? So that means there is an ignorance about this ultimate nature. Ignorance about this infinite nature, which is already here, which does not have to be produced, which is you yourself. So we have to seek knowledge. And therefore, you see the connection. The next line is that Vigyanartham, seeking knowledge. What knowledge? No longer lower knowledge. Is already a master of lower knowledge, of uh, secular knowledge, of uh, religious knowledge. Is already a master. Now, he, that Vigyanartham for spiritual knowledge, Brahmavidya, for the science of Brahman, for the higher knowledge, Paravidya, the higher knowledge. What does he do? Guru Meva Vigachet. He approaches the Guru. Eva, only the Guru. So here Shankaracharya comments, you have to go to a teacher. Why? Shankaracharya comments, Shastragyopi Swatantrena Brahma Jnana Anveshanam Nakuriyat. Even Shastragya, even if you are learned, you have read the entire library. You have read lots and lots of books. You have read all the texts. Shastra Gyopi. He says, Swatantriya, independently do not search for Brahma Jnana, the, the science of spirituality. Don't search for that. You'll be deluded. You'll waste time. You'll be deluded. You'll be misled. Rather go to an authentic teacher and learn from, from the teacher. Of course, here he's talking about Vedanta. So, teacher who belongs to the tradition, who can transmit the knowledge of the texts. Because one might think, the texts are there, I'll just go and read it. I'll borrow it from the library or you know download it or something, buy it from Amazon Kindle and read it. That's it. Why bring the guru into it? But we won't get what's there in the text. We won't understand. One sadhu put it very nicely. We, especially in this day and age, we rebel against the concept of a guru. Why do I need a guru? Um, I depend on my own understanding. Notice, when it comes to spirituality, all these fallacious arguments the mind puts forward. When it comes to getting a degree in a college or a university or something, we happily sign up for an Ivy League college. And then I can go to the best teachers. And Why? And then if you need a college degree for learning physics, chemistry, English, Spanish, Sanskrit, then how come you don't need a teacher for learning Brahma Vidya, the, knowledge, the science of Brahman? Swami Brahmaranda used to joke, he would say, even a pickpocket, to learn to be a pickpocket, goes to a master pickpocket and learns how to, how to pickpockets. And are you saying for learning the science of Brahman, you don't need a teacher? One sadhu uh, told this, uh, he's, his argument was very nice. He said, look at the sheer ego of it. We seem to think that when I say, I trust my own understanding. But the Shadu said, look at the sheer ego of it. Here are 7 billion people you know, in, the, in the world today. 7 billion brains. And billions of others, millions and billions of others who were there before me. My brain is just like one of those brains. And I am saying, I trust this one. Because it's mine. See how the ego fools us. Your brain might be fine. 
But how do you know that's the only one that's trustworthy and in the only the contents of this skull are trustworthy? What about the contents of 7 billion other skulls? <laughs> so, one must go, go to a guru. And this ego, it um, you know, it works in so many subtle ways. What are you doing? Oh, I want a guru, but I'm hunting for a guru. A guru as great as me. That's That's the subtext. I haven't found a guru. <laughs> if you are searching for a guru, one year, two years, five years, ten years, fine. But then finally you must start. Find a teacher, find a tradition and start. And settle down and start and pursue it. If it's a liberal kind of tradition, it's fine. So that you can um, pursue this particular tradition and be open. You can learn others. There's no harm. But you must have a home tradition. Here, of course, he is talking about Vedanta. Swatantriyana. Do not independently um, seek Brahman or try to learn the science of Brahman, Brahmagyana, even if you have read all the books. So, Guru Meva Bhikachit, one goes to the Guru. Why? What do I want? What is the purpose? Um, here, Shankaracharya, very soaring and inspiring sentence he writes. Ahamcha nityena amritena abhayena kutasthena achalena dhruvena arthartha arthena arthi natat viparitena. I am. What am I seeking? When I am seeking the spiritual knowledge, what do I want? I am desirous of the eternal, immortal, fearless, unchanging, unmoving, absolute reality. And not its opposite. What is the opposite? This world. And the other world. Heaven. Therefore, I am going in search of this knowledge. Now he is going to give the qualities of the uh, teacher and the student. So who is a teacher? Here, of course, teacher, you, people will ask, do you have a PhD in that subject? Then you are a teacher. And it's all right that you have to have some standards. But the Upanishadic standard for teachers, in Vedanta, the standard for teachers is Shrotriyam Brahmanishtam. Shrotriyam means well versed in the Vedas, and especially in the Vedanta. One the teacher must be well versed in the tradition which we are going to learn, a master of that tradition. And then Brahmanishtam, who is centered in Brahman. So not a part-time spiritual master. So it does it gives you a crash course in uh, some spiritual uh, spirituality, and other other times he is busy with everything else, with other lots of other projects in life. No, the teacher must be someone whose entire life is centered in Brahman. Why are these qualifications mentioned? Why didn't they just directly say your teacher must be an enlightened person? Isn't that what we want? And who knows who is an enlightened person? How will you judge? How will you know who is an enlightened person? This is a much more uh, realistic and uh, a practical way of looking at a teacher. Does this teacher belong to an accepted tradition? And is this person centered in that tradition? So first of all, does he or she know the knowledge to be transmitted? Um, or doesn't know? And second, um, Brahmanishta. Is this person dedicated to God-realization? And we don't know if he has realized God, but you can take a look at the life of this person. Is this person uh, 
following these teachings and dedicating his or her life completely to spirituality then these are two qualifications of the guru in another upanishad shrotriya brahmanishta akamahata shrotriya means master of the shruti the vedas basically master of vedanta has this person mastered vedanta so he can teach me second centered in brahman their whole life is god centered third akamahata the word means not injured or not damaged by desire so does does the teacher have other desires and you know some teachers are cult leaders they want power over their followers some teachers are after sometimes after is the person after money or fame or luxury things like that so those are red flags now i'm not saying the teacher should not ask for money i also ask for money uh, you have to maintain the ashram or run the institution whatever it is that's fine but it is true that if you see enormous amounts of money uh, that's a red flag it's not a good sign if uh, if you see sudden like a burst of opulence around a spiritual master it's not a good sign it's like a red flag um any kind of desire greed lust um, desire for power control so that is kama desire and that is kama hatha destroyed by desire such a person is not qualified to be a teacher one should not learn from such a teacher that's one qualification akama hatha second qualification is shrotriya well versed in vedanta third qualification is brahmanishta centered shankaracharya gives the example of japonishta taponishta a person who is uh, is life is centered around japa so he has a mantra day and night repeats the mantra taponishta austere life leads a the daily routine is a very austere routine this is exactly like that one should be the teacher should be brahmanishta the whole of life should be about god and god realization i have seen this in some of the the senior monks sri ramakrishna is a blazing example he would say i am saying in the name of the mother i know nothing except god i am mayri bolchi ishwar chara ami kichu janina in the name of the divine mother he says i am saying i do not know anything except god one of the senior swamis under whom i trained he was very close to swami premeshananda ji disciple of the holy mother and this swami told me that it was quite an ordeal living with swami premeshananda ji he used to serve swami premeshananda ji who was quite ill for years and years day in and day out continuously the vedanta teaching went on and on and on he is giving a graphic example in the dead of the night this old man he has to go to the washroom and the this young man he was a brahmachari at that time he had to uh, help the swami to go into the washroom slowly in the bathroom the swami is holding on to him and saying understand this carefully the panchakosha viveka the five layers of the human personality the atman is the witness of have you understood it and this uh, swami told me i was a young man at that time and uh, my eyes were heavy with sleep i was just somehow thinking the swami should finish and go back to bed so that i can go and grab some more sleep because i have to get up at 4 am again in the morning and i would say yes yes i have understood now hurry up <laughs> it would not stop this is called brahmanishta centered in in brahman that's the only thing that matters god is the only thing that matters 
how should one approach the teacher samit pani hi this is with a bunch of sacrificial firewood that sounds very strange why with sacrificial firewood um, because the idea is that there is a way of approaching the teacher the way of approaching the teacher is with reverence and formally so in india we go to the master and we bow down we make an offering so it is part of uh, you know cultured behavior in hindu society also buddhist and jain society that you do not go to a monk or to a spiritual master without some offering and the offering of course is something that's useful to the ashram or to that master and what is useful in those days useful to for example the the guru angiras who is teaching the disciple remember the disciple is shaunaka and the guru is angiras he lives in an ashram so what is useful there they perform these uh, rituals and worship and puja so they need sacrificial firewood to burn for those uh, uh, rituals but it symbolizes you take a gift for the master and the gift is something that's useful to the monastery or the ashram or something i remember a friend of mine a monk who was uh, initiated by one of our great swami swami bhuteshanand ji the 12th president of our order so this friend of mine he said when i went for my initiation uh, part of the ritual is you take offerings a piece of cloth some fruits some flowers and uh, offering like a cash offering in a an, an envelope and you offer it uh, that's part of the offering you give to the master now he asks he is a scientist and a very 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 logical person so he asked the uh, master the teacher swami bhuteshanand ji why should i give this class why should and then the, the he answered the master answered that well because you love the guru you have respect for the guru that's why you offered this and then my friend said all right then i'll offer what i like why should i offer this cloth and sweets and fruit and flowers i'll give you something that i like and then bhuteshanand ji is he was very humorous and he never laughed himself and he would have you in splits and he would speak in this slow drawl he said but if you offer me a horse will i take it tumi ki ghoda dile ami nobo that means you have to offer something that is useful to the uh, to the uh, master to the ashram samit pani so this literally it means going with a, an offering of sacrificial firewood you don't shouldn't take it literally i remember i was uh, i mentioned this term in a talk in hollywood when i first came to this country about 5 6 years ago 7 uh, years ago and the next day in the morning when i opened my door there was this little bundle of firewood with a ribbon tied around it somebody had placed it reverentially outside my door now right the point is taken but uh, nowadays the offering might be changed you might offer um why why dhotis and clothes because the disciples in the ashram they wear the dhotis and that's useful for the ashram why fruits it's useful for the uh, monks and brahmacharis who stay in the ashram uh, so like that um samit pani it's a mark of reverence you approach the teacher reverentially this reverence is very important uh, otherwise the teaching process becomes difficult unless i come with what is called shraddha Uh, for the teacher and for the teaching the attitude should be 
what they are telling me is immensely valuable for me. This is what I want in life. It's an extraordinarily important and significant uh, event in my life. The mantra diksha and this learning of Vedanta, which I'm getting. So the, the guru is the one from whom you get the mantra diksha. But of course, teachings can come from many sources. So you go to an Acharya and learn Vedanta, Upanishads. We are studying Upanishads. So with reverence that this most important knowledge, which I am seeking, which is my goal in life, is now coming through this person, through this teacher. So that is with that attitude, I go. Um, if I don't understand something, I don't say, oh, you're wrong. I, I don't agree with this or you're wrong. Don't say that. I say, I don't understand this. This is true, I'm sure, but uh, I don't get it yet. Could you explain this? So that should be the attitude. Not that I know and you are wrong and I want to show you that you are wrong. Then one cannot uh, learn. One must first learn. See, this is not like a philosophy class. What's the difference? It seems like a philosophy class, but it's different from that. A philosophy class is where uh, the goal is to think philosophically uh, about various issues in life. And you're free. Your thoughts are valuable. You, you think about it and come up with new ideas. But here, the, something is being shown to us. We must cooperate with the text and the teacher so that we can see what they're trying to show us. After that, you can say what you want. But first, try to, you know, what we say, download the teaching into <laughs> ourselves. And that requires Shraddha. Shraddha means faith, respect, reverence. It does not mean blindly obeying somebody. People misunderstand. There's, there's so much respect for the figure of the guru in Indian tradition. So it becomes whatever the guru says, I surrender myself completely to the guru. Yes, in spiritual matters. And uh, the goal is to, to you know, imbibe this knowledge, make it a living knowledge. And that's why you, you, have, you have faith in the guru. Mm. I wanted to start the next mantra, but we don't have time. Let's take some questions. The next mantra, what will happen is the final mantra of this section. Um, the qualities of the student will be mentioned. Uh, people say the gurus are available. These are the qualities of the guru. Shrotriya, Akabahata, Brahmanishta. Well versed in the tradition, not uh, damaged by desire and centered in Brahman. But such even such gurus may be available. It's not all that rare. But a good disciple is rare. That story is there of the man who went to an ashram and said, who lives here? And the guru and the disciples. Oh, I see. Uh, what does uh, the disciple have to do? The disciple has to get up early in the morning and clean the ashram and collect firewood from the forest, has to come back and meditate and cook and serve the guru and serve the other disciples, has to attend classes and memorize loads and loads of Sanskrit verses and then come for examinations and so on and so forth. Lots and lots of things to be done. Oh, that's tough. And the guru, what does the guru do? Oh, the guru has to give some classes and that's all right. And give some teachings. And then this young man said, all right, I'll stay here. I'll be the guru. <laughs> I choose that. So no, the ideal disciple has certain qualifications. Those we will look at uh, next time. Let's look at the questions. Sri Ram says, on a practical level, can repetition of Ishtamantra generate the vairagya that is so critical in sadhana? If so, is there a specific method of mantra repetition that is most effective? Yes, mantra repetition is very powerful. It can purify the mind and the purification of mind also. With that will come vairagya. But however, 
what the upanishad here recommends is pariksha lokan do take a serious look at your life especially when will we take a look especially when you have problems when you have problems in life unhappiness anger lack of fulfillment um, restlessness let's take a look at why am i restless unhappy unfulfilled i am a spiritual seeker i'll fill my life with meditation with devotion with service and the quest for brahma gyana where is the time to be unhappy restless where is... so there's something that i want which is uh, disturbing my mind there is some lack of vairagya dispassion somewhere so that inquiry the upanishad strongly recommends you may do the mantra and should do it definitely but this inquiry one must do and remember it's not that oh i didn't know all this i've been in vedanta for years and years and i didn't do this inquiry no you have already done it you didn't know that it was this inquiry anybody who is a serious spiritual seeker uh, has in some way or the other come to this understanding but here it, the mantra makes it explicit so vairagya yes vairagya comes from this inquiry this uh, um pariksha lokan pariksha means examining lokan the worlds karma chitan born of karma nirveda maya comes to dispassion this is vairagya dispassion dispassion comes from this inquiry vijay says you uh, talked about god for my life versus my life for god i find myself doing both i suspect lots of people do that depending on their life situation can you please comment yes and all of us we will keep on doing that if we were entirely my life for god it would be a pretty short and quick process something like sri ramakrishna for example vivekananda buddha remember buddha in his intense quest it took him years and years of searching so we we will keep on doing both um what is necessary is a clear decision a clear owning up only to yourself you don't have to announce on social media from now on i am a seeker of moksha before this i was in aparavidya lower knowledge now i'm changing to paravidya the higher knowledge before this i was seeking dharmartha kama pleasure worldly success and going to heaven after death but now i am seeking moksha this is the shift that's needed internally you don't have to announce it to anybody but we have to own up to ourselves i am a mumukshu who am i i am a person in search of god i am a person in search of enlightenment then sangeetha says extending the same sort of the fallacy of undertaking vedanta study on one's own versus learning from qualified acharya how different is learning anything of vedanta online versus in person in person is of course good better um but this online is also not bad especially when we can see each other that's the reason why i insist sometimes you know at least try to keep your camera on so that you are focused on the teacher sometimes good to hear the words of the teacher and look at the expression the body language we are learning something you know our mind is absorbing something which is unspoken not at the verbal level from the teacher but personal uh, interaction of course is the best kiran says of the four types of renunciation mentioned by swami ji the renunciation the path of gyana seems to be the highest is this correct highest means yes most complete most difficult to begin with and straight away you want to say the world is an appearance all my worldly projects an appearance 
Shankaracharya said as much here, like a mirage, like a display of magic, like every moment disappearing, like bubbles in water. It's the truth, actually. So when we are confronted with sudden shocks and tragedies, we realize it can happen any moment. It can happen any moment. Everything can come to an end, at least personally for us, at any moment. So, um, yes. But to realize that, even without those shocks, to know that and to behave accordingly, that is the highest renunciation. All four we should try to understand and inculcate in our lives. Karma. Not here for I, me, myself, but for others. Or for God. Everything is for worship of God. Karma yoga. That's great, huge renunciation. Second, devotion. My love is for God. Not for things in the world or people in the world. Not that you will hate people in the world. But you will love people knowing that God is within them. Seeing the Lord in everybody. And you might say that sounds a little delusional. That's an escapist. No, no, not really. But when we try to love people as persons, that's a lower kind of love. Our idea of a person uh, is, uh, is very much a construct. What we are <laughs> trying to love is mostly our projection. And that person whom we love very much, that person is also continuously changing over time. Um, and it's not, when we love a person as a person, that's not the highest truth about that person. The highest truth about that person is the impersonal, is the Atman, is Brahman. So if you love God in that person, and notice, when you love God in that person, God is exactly the same in every person. Abhijit says, Quote on renunciation by Anandamayma. Renunciation is giving up of the idea of separateness, not the giving up of things. True? That's the highest. That's the Jnani's renunciation. It is oneness. That is oneness. Isha Upanishad. Isha Vasya Midam Sarvam Yatkincha Jagatyam Jagatena Tyaktena Bhunjitha. You have to see God pervading every entity in the universe. Isha Upanishad says that. And then the next line says, by this renunciation. So this seeing God in everything, this oneness, this divine oneness of the universe, which includes yourself, this divine oneness of the universe, this itself is a renunciation, the greatest renunciation. This is what uh, uh, Anandamai Ma is saying. Renunciation is the giving up of the idea of separateness, not the giving up of things. That is one divine reality. This is the universe. That's a great renunciation. Amira says, in addition to Japa, is it okay if you develop a personal relationship with God? Not only okay, you must talk to Ishtadevata when we are in pain, confusion, fear, or need guidance about the spiritual growth. Nowadays, people go to therapists, psychiatrists, but can we speak to God instead? You can speak to God, definitely. And whether it's instead or not, that you decide. If you feel... Um, that the help of a therapist or a counselor is helping you, good, definitely go to the counselor or the therapist. Um, but develop a personal relationship with God. If you have a devotional practice, you are blessed. It's a very, very powerful, very fulfilling practice. So speak to the Lord. Tell the Lord in a very simple way, like a child goes to the parents, what your problem is, what you want from the Lord spiritually. 
Priya says, what is the difference between teachers such as Sri Ramakrishna and Sargadatta Maharaj? Technically not Shrotriyas, but we realize souls versus teachers like Shankara Acharya and Swami Vivekananda who are probably both. Yes, sometimes there are extraordinarily powerful teachers. Sri Ramakrishna was like that. Nisargadatta in another sense. Though it's not true to say they are not Shrotriya. <laughs> if First of all, in one sense, I'll give you a, a higher sense and a more practical sense. In the higher sense, of course, Avatara is you know, the source of these teachings. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Vedanta Krit, I am the, the giver of Vedanta. Vedanta flows from me. Not that he is the one who made the Upanishads, but he reveals this knowledge. So at the beginning of every cycle, Ishwar or Bhagavan reveals this knowledge to the Rishis. And the Rishis pass it down. How we started this uh, uh, Upanishad? Brahma Devanam Prathama Sambhuva Vishwasya Karta Bhuvanasya Gopta. Uh, so Brahma was the first of the gods to appear. Then what happened? Sa Brahma Vidya Sarva Vidya Pratishtham Atharvaya Jeshta Putraya Praha. He transmitted the, the foundation of all knowledge, the highest of all knowledge, Brahma Vidya, the knowledge of Brahman, to the, his firstborn, Atharva. That means. This knowledge is coming from God. So, someone like Sri Ramakrishna, it's like asking, was Sri Krishna, Shrotriya, knower of uh, the tradition of Vedanta? Well, they are the founders of the tradition. They are the sources of the tradition of Vedanta. So, that's in the sense of the highest, avatar. But even if you don't think that way, um, when Sri Ramakrishna, somebody pointed out, you, have, you haven't read all these books. Sri Ramakrishna felt hurt. You know, he said, Ami shunechi. I've heard so much. <laughs> So there was an endless stream of spiritual masters passing through that little room in Dakshineshwar. They would hold long, long discussions on Vedanta, on Vaishnava Bhakti, on Tantra. I mean, that is a continuous lifelong master class in religion and philosophy. And he held it all in his memory. Uh, extraordinary intellect and memory. So yes, so Shrotriya, definitely. Um, but sometimes you will have very extraordinary spiritual teachers who have not gone through this process which we are going through. We need a guru who is Shrotriya, Brahmanishtha, and then we have to have qualifications of being a student. Then we study the Upanishads and the Gita and other texts, and we practice meditation, devotion, Vedantic inquiry, and finally we get a breakthrough and enlightenment. And then comes the process of being a Jivan Mukta, liberated while living. So this is the track on which we are on. And in general, the Vedanta tradition says this is where, this is how everybody goes towards enlightenment. Except, there are always exceptions to the rule. Suddenly you'll find somebody enlightened. There's the case of Ramana Maharshi in this modern age. Who did not um, attend uh, Vedanta classes or go to a guru? He suddenly came upon this realization. He actually did a little bit of a thought experiment, a little practice. That's basically a Vedantic inquiry actually. Uh, and then he realized straight away. But those are exceptions. Those are exceptions. Nisargadatta himself belonged to a tradition of teachers. And um, and he was initiated and taught. Bhargava says, Is it right to say when a person is drawn to spiritual life, they are not satisfied with anything in this world, including human love. So they seek it from the divine. They realize that they can never satisfy. So start changing their way of life. Yes, but remember, it's not that when they are drawn to spiritual life, they are not satisfied with anything. There is 
a recognition that things here in this world will not satisfy me. And so there is a seeking of something higher. That is what we were studying in this uh, mantra. That you inquire into this life. And if the grace of God is there, and don't worry, the grace of God is there for all of us. That's why we are interested in the higher spiritual life. If the grace of God is there, then there will be a pull towards the higher life. And one will see through to through the display of this uh, world. Gaurav says, in what way these instructions on guru or teacher relationship apply at this stage of Zoom? Yes, uh, the learning is going on here. It has to be modified. Remember, there are two kinds of teachers. One is the mantra diksha, which you get in our tradition. That is the guru. The guru is the one from whom you get the mantra. But then you can learn the text from somebody else. You can attend Zoom classes, come in-person classes. And that person is your acharya. I have got mantra diksha from my guru. But then I learned the texts which I am now studying and teaching also. I learned it from a number of acharyas. A number of acharyas over so many decades. And that's fine. How to stay consistent with sadhana. We get distracted and put efforts again and this goes on. And this will go on. But make up the mind, I am a spiritual seeker. Then what am I supposed to do? I am supposed to do sadhana. Don't expect that you will immediately become like Sri Ramakrishna day and night crying for the mother. And uh, if you do become like that, well, you're most fortunate. But most of us, we have to move slowly. Uh, we can't help it. If you make up your mind that you're a spiritual seeker, then you will stick to the path. Sometimes your sadhana will be intensive. Sometimes it will become um, slow. Sometimes I've seen people who seem to stop altogether. But five, ten years later, they come back to it again. Sangeeta says, Avatar like Sri Ramakrishna are also known to be directly connected to the source. So they do not need the stepwise approach. Absolutely. So they don't need it. However, notice, they also have gurus. Sri Ramakrishna made it a point. Multiple traditions. Why did they do, do that? So that it affirms the tradition. If they don't take a guru, if they don't give the tick mark, check the boxes, we also won't be inspired to it. They show that this is the way to spiritual realization. The spirit, guru, text, then um, studying, um, the practice of japa, devotion, karma yoga, all of these practices, we have to go through. They do it also in their own lives and they show us. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu.